The following sermon is brought to you by ThePreachersVault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. appreciate Brad's uh, cooperation and helping me out with that song. If you've got your bulletin, if you picked up one of those, you'll notice there's a brief outline on the front of that bulletin that is entitled the same thing as the song that we just sang. I don't know that there are any truer words that are written in our hymnals. Of course, those things are out of the minds of men, but they often reflect on Scripture. Perhaps there are no truer words that were just penned and just sang by us in that. The questions were begged. What can wash away our sins? The answer... Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? The answer, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And in the chorus line, they're telling us how precious the flow of that blood is. And of course, that blood has been flowing since Calvary's day. And it continues to flow through us today and allows us, if we're not children of God's, to be obedient, to be washed from our sins, such as one man just done just a moment ago. And then it allows us even after that. As children of God, as we continue to walk in the light as He is in the light, John 1 and verse 7 tells us He is faithful and just to cleanse us of all our sins. And that's only by the blood of Jesus. Revelation 1 and verse 5, we contact that blood in water. John 3 verses 3 and 5, how great that blood is. Now, if you have your New Testaments, I pray that you're opening with me the book of 1 Peter. This is Cliff's book. I hate to preach out of one of Cliff's books. He enjoys the books of 1 and 2 Peter immensely, and I enjoy when he studies them with us. But we're going to speak on 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, just under that heading, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I want to help you to represent uh, four things, I believe. There will be some sub-points to that. But four things we're going to be found in this text that we're about to read, verses 18 to 25, that hopefully will help us to be reminded, and even maybe for the first time, to recognize just how great and powerful that blood is. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, we'll read this incrementally. Here, here's how it begins. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions, you could say in that, by the handing down of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, of these four things, the first one I want you to notice with me is very simple, and that is that nothing but the blood of Jesus can purchase a sinner, can purchase a sinner. You know, you and I are lost without the blood of Jesus being shed. We must be so excited about, so thankful for the fact that God sent His Son down to this earth to die for us, as Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, as revealed here in the text, particularly verse 18 that we just read, we learned that this blood that, that brought us to a point where we could have our sins to be washed away, this blood, number one, was a redemption offering. It was a redemption offering. That's what he set forth. He said, reading it again, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with silver and gold, but by the blood of Jesus. Now, friends, you think about that. When we speak of the idea, when the Bible speaks of the idea of redemption, that term is very simply stated or defined is simply to buy back, to purchase back. Now, I don't know if you've ever had anything in your life that you have sold off. Maybe you just kind of got to where you felt like you didn't need it, you didn't want it anymore. Maybe someone was desirous of it. You said, well, i tell you what, I'll sell you this item for X amount of dollars. And about the time it leaves your sight, what do you want to do? I wish I had that back. 
You know, when God looks down upon the souls of man, each and every one of ours, for all eternity, that's exactly what He's done. He's breathed in life into us, such as He did with Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden, and that life became a living soul. And from that point forward, it's been His goal to either maintain, to keep those souls within His hand, or to be ready to purchase them back. And the blood of Jesus Christ does that. Now, not only is this a redemption payment, let me tell you something about this. I think it's revealed there also. It is a ransom payment. Redemption's one thing. Redemption considers it from the bright side, considers it from the good perspective of things, but it's likewise a ransom payment. Verse 18 went on to tell us that this blood brought us or purchased us, redeemed us back from the vain conversations or manners of life of your fathers. That is, if we look back across our past and the way that we live, as we go through life and we learn uh, how to sin, we learn how to uh, continue in that sin, we have led a vain and empty life. But what's God willing to do? He's willing to pay that ransom. You know, I've seen the movies, and of course most of these, unfortunately, are based on true stories where children are sometimes picked up in some public place or even taken from the home. The most uh, well-known case probably be the Lindbergh baby that was taken from that home on that evening. And you think about what those families will endure, what those parents particularly and other family members and sometimes even corporations are willing to reach out, individuals are willing to volunteer to do what? To pay the ransom because... We understand when it comes to the life of a loved one, whether it be a child, a brother, sister, parent, whomever it might be, that payment is worth everything to us. Someone calls or sends that letter, as we would see in those pictures, I've got your family member. If you want them returned safe, I need this ransom paid. We step out, we're willing, and if we're able, we're going to pay that at any cost. In a similar way, that's the way God looks down upon us. God sees us as something that is reasonably uh, set forth as a ransom, and he's willing to purchase us back. It's a redemption payment, a ransom payment, and let me add this one. I just used the word inadvertently. It is a reasonable payment. Let's put this scenario for what it is in more modern times. Let's suppose that someone came to me and they said, well, uh, here's what we're going to need, Jim. We're going to need your child, your son, today's Cameron's ninth birthday. We're going to need your nine-year-old son, and we need him to take the place of or to take over the life of in place of someone else. They were going to die. They were going to be lost. They were going to be done away with. But instead, we decided to take your son in place of this life. Now, you know very well, as we've thought about this scenario before in our minds, each and every one of us would say that, no, no, we're not going to do that. I'm not willing to do that. That's not even reasonable. Well, God saw fit that it was. If you go back and see the texts that are revealed time and time and time again throughout the Scripture, you'll see that God sent His Son or gave him His Son up because He thought that that was reasonable. He thought that the life of each one of us as individuals as well as collectively as a world, as a nation, as a human race, he thought that all of our lives were worthy of him giving his son. You say, well, how can you tell that? I love to consider and continue to quote after the words of John, the baptizer. He looked across, I would assume, some plain or what have you. In John 1 and verse 29 it records, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. 
In that mindset, what he's saying is God sent a lamb, prepared a lamb, which is something we'll get into in a little bit, but he prepared a lamb for the reason of taking away our sins. The entirety of Christ's life, his coming to this earth, going all the way back to the oldest of prophecies, Genesis 3 and verse 15 we'll reflect on. Each and every one of those was intended for all time as a reasonable payment for my sin and yours. Now, when I think about that, again, that doesn't seem reasonable to me, but yet that's what God did. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25, you're familiar with this passage. Uh, speaking of Christ, said that he gave himself up in the context for the church, but the church is made up of the individuals. He was willing to give his life over, to lay his life down, if you want to see it from that sense, to purchase his church. That's why in Acts 20 and verse 28 we find out it was the shedding of His blood that did pay that ransom price, pay that redemption price, and even pay for God a reasonable price because of the souls that are contained within our hearts and the way that we're able to function on this life. What a great thing it is to consider that nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus can do that. Number one, to purchase a sinner. Next. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the Scriptures will reveal can likewise provide a Savior. Just keep reading. We hadn't read far enough. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot, without, or without blemish and without spot, who, watch this, who verily was foreordained, that's a key word, before, yet another key word, the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these times for you. Do you mean God sent this Savior that we've already reflected on several times? He sent this Savior for you. You can imply that you and you and you and, and whomever. That's exactly what's being taught here. That's what Peter's revealing through inspiration. Now you think about that Savior. We oftentimes have people in our lives, or we know of these accounts at least, where maybe our lives are physically in danger. Someone steps in, they become that hero, as we would call them. They, they stand up for the lives of someone else, sometimes even to their own detriment, sometimes even to losing their own lives. Thenceforth, from that perspective, physically, we might say, well, that's my Savior. But friends, no matter how many men would be willing to take, as we would say, bullets or, or blades for us, none of that ever would compare someone who would die for us in a spiritual realm like Christ did. Now, several things you have to know about this Savior. Number one, this Savior was anticipated. He was anticipated. I'm looking here in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm in verses, uh, verse 20. Move back across the page here for just a moment to about verse 9. Let's just read a couple of verses for time. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9. Here's what it says. Receiving the end of your faith, even, key word, the salvation of your souls of whom the salvation of the prophets have inquired and searched diligently into, who prophesied of the grace, key word, that should come unto you. What do you mean by that, Peter? He said the prophets were seeking, were searching, were, were delving into, find out the one about the one of whom they were prophesying, which was this Lamb of God who would shed this blood, nothing but that blood could provide a Savior like that. He was anticipated. 
From Genesis 3 and verse 15, we reflected on a moment ago, God set forth and foreordained, as it states here before, and even the foundation of the world, to send His Son, and from that point forward, upon every page, it's hard to see sometimes, but upon every page, upon every chapter, and in every book of the Old Testament leading to this point, Christ is spoken of time and time and time again. Whether it be by direct prophecy or at least in picture, Christ is typified throughout the Bible. He was anticipated. But what's great about Him is that this Savior that was produced by this blood was not only anticipated, He was accepted. And what I mean by that, He was accepted in the perspective of His blood that would be shed would be just what we need. Go with me over one time. We won't move at once. But go with me to the book of Hebrews. You'll be familiar with the text. Of course, the book of Hebrews is all about a better Christ, a better covenant, a better Savior, whatever, that, whatever you would see in that. But in Hebrews chapter 10, these are familiar passages to us, beginning in verse 1, speaking of the Old Testament and moving toward the New, here's what is read. He says, For the law, Old Testament, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, never with those sacrifices. What sacrifices? Each and every one of those lambs, goats, whatever the animal sacrifice was, each and every one of those could never with those sacrifices, he says, which were offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect or complete. For then would they have not ceased to be offered because the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. Here's the key in verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance every year, again made every year, for it is not, verse 4, not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Wherefore, he that cometh in the world and saith the sacrifice and offerings would not, but the body thou hast prepared me, that's Jesus, and burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin that he has made in pleasure. In verse 7, And lo, I come in the volume of the book. That is upon every page it speaks. Lo, I come in the volume of the book that it is written to do thy will, O God. Now what was the sandwich there? The sandwich is we have Old Testament sacrifices, bulls and goats and such. In the end of that, we have the volume of the book coming, which was speaking continuously, constantly, about the coming Lamb, Christ, and right there between it, it says, there was no, I'm going to put it in other terms, there was no possible way those sacrifices, Old Testament animals, could have taken away one sin. You know, if it were possible, I'm not, I'm not certain I would do this, I'm making a scenario. If it were possible today, and I would have taken strap bombs around me and covered that with my coat, and blow myself up, as some men have chosen to do for other reasons today. If I were to blow myself up, if I thought that that could take away the sins of everyone in this room, it might be worth it to me. Not saying I would. But guess what? It won't. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He was anticipated. He, in this sense, if you go back to the text here, he was likewise uh, accepted. But let me tell you something that's great about him even. This was not revealed directly in Peter, but he was accomplished. He not only accomplished his goal, that is that he would be slain for our sins, but he accomplished everything that he was needful to accomplish on this life. You think about three simple ones. Number one, he was accomplished in his word, wasn't he? 
Everything that Jesus uttered, everything that he spake in this life that we have recorded here was of some necessary need. You know, we, we ramble on. We talk about different things. We talk about sports. We talk about activities and recreation and, and our families. And, and we talk about all these things in the world. And I'm not speaking of that just sitting around the house or sitting with friends. I mean, when we have an opportunity, failed opportunities, to speak to someone about our Lord, you and I typically, the majority of the time, miss those. We overlook it. Friends, you won't find one time on the pages of Holy Writ where Christ encountered anyone, even the gainsayers, that's someone who spoke against him, what he did not make an attempt, a valid, biblical, scriptural attempt to try to save that soul. He was accomplished. As a matter of fact, as we'll get into the end of this, I'll go ahead and give you the end of it. When Christ would die, he would be able to say, yes, it is finished. Everything that he desired to do. Now, if we were to bring up a show of hands, and we no, no reason, but if we were to say, raise your hand if you've accomplished everything that you want to do in this life, particularly in your words, have you spoken on God's behalf on every occasion that you could? We would all say, well, no. Well, no. In His words. Because of that, in His will. His will was accomplished. You know, when Christ there was on His knees, Matthew records it for us, Matthew chapter 26, and he's there on his knees praying on those three occasions. Says thrice he would pray the same. He's asking of God, God, if it be within thy will or the boundaries of your desires, take away this cup. Let this cup pass from me. He said, not because of me, but your will, the Father's will, be done. Now why is that significant? Because when you stop and consider who Jesus Christ was, he was God in a body anyway. He was as much God or more so than he was man. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 revealed that. This word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, verse 14. When he was uttering those words to the Father, which that's another distinct personality of the Godhead, he was saying there, God, your will is being done. And because of that, my will is being done. He gave himself up. Christ had opportunity perhaps to choose otherwise, but he gave himself up. Now his words allowed his will to be done. And we had this one. And because of that, we see the wonders of God. You know, people sometimes ask concerning baptism, for example. Baptism is where you would contact that blood, not literally, but spiritually. Sometimes people ask about baptism. Why would God uh, or, or say, or why would you say, they'll, they'll accuse it upon us to begin with, why would you say that dipping a person, immersing a person in water, why would you say that that takes away the sins? Well, we have only but one reason, because God said it would. You say, but, but listen, Jim, uh, preacher, do you really comprehend that? No, ma'am, I don't. No, sir, I do not. I trust it. I know that it is correct. I know that it is true. But I do not comprehend it. I cannot explain exactly and precisely why God chose that infant, how God washes away those sins other than what he tells us. The blood does that. It's a wonder what God chose to do. You know, every miracle that we experience today off of these pages that Christ put forth in his time to be recorded on these pages Every one of those wondrous works continues to remind us 
how great and precious he was, hence how great and precious his blood is. It's a good thing. Because only the blood can save a sinner. Only the blood can produce a Savior. Thirdly here, only the blood can purify a soul. We hadn't read far enough. Let's pick up here in verse uh, 21 and go forward. He says, Who by him do we believe in God, raised him up from the dead, and gave him the glory that your faith and hope might be in God. That's where our faith ought to be. That's where our hope, that is desire, coupled with that expectation, must lie. Seeing, verse 22, Seeing that ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Key word, purify. Second key word, obey. In obeying the truth through the Spirit and the unfeigned love of the brethren, seeing that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And that word fervently can mean to burn within. It also means to stretch out your arms for, reach into. What's being stated? This blood can purify our soul. The first way it does that is through obedience. He says, seeing that you purify your souls by or through obeying the word of truth. That's God's word. In essence, faith. I realize that when we speak of faith on a day-to-day basis, if we're not trying to reflect on the spiritual, we say, well, I have faith in you, man. I have faith that you'll do what you say. I have confidence, that's what we mean, that you're going to stick with your word. You're reliable, and I can, I can always put my, uh, my faith, I can bank on you, we might tell someone. And that's, that's well and good. But as we learn throughout the Scriptures... This goes from Genesis to the end of Revelation likewise. Faith, biblical faith, always results in obedience. Jesus begged the question of a group one time. He said, why say unto me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If he's going to use in the preceding idea his words to bring forth his will, backed up by his wonders, why aren't you doing what I ask you to do? That would be the way we might word it. What does it require of us? What is the obedience here? First of all, and we're already speaking of the first one, it has to do with belief. A belief that God is who he is. You know the good confession that we just uh, used just a moment ago from Scripture? Kenny was able to recite or at least confirm to us, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Friends, that is all we must believe. I don't mean that's all that we must know. I mean if we keep in the forefront of our minds that Jesus Christ is and was and will be the Son of God, there will never be other questions in our mind where we say, well, what should I do in this scenario? What should I do in that scenario, in this situation? Because in every one of those... God will be at the forefront. But I want to. Doesn't matter. But, but I dream up. Doesn't matter. But I, but I look forward to. Doesn't matter. All that matters is whether or not I'm willing to do the will of God that comes by belief. And then it comes by birth. He speaks of that. Wherefore, purifying your souls by obeying the truth. These souls are purified. They're washed. I reflected on John 1, 1 John 1 and verse 7 earlier. They're cleansed by the blood of Christ. When Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, of course, he was an important individual. Uh, and in men's eyes, he was a great man, I'm sure. 
when he came to Jesus by night begging of Jesus what he would do in order that he might change his life, in order that he might see heaven, be saved, all of that being one and the same, all necessary, Jesus commanded upon him to be born of water and of spirit. He even had to correct his thinking when Nicodemus became confused there in that same context as to just how that water birth was to come about. He said, are you telling me I need to be born again, to go back to my mother's womb, to be birthed again by that typical physical birth process? He said, no, 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 no. Jesus said, you're born of water, true, but you're born of water by the means of the Spirit. Obedience in belief and birth. Second, I don't know that this one fits as well as what I'm trying to say, but it cannot be overlooked. We have to take the opportunities also. Once one is brought to a point of obedience, and we choose to do that, whenever forced, we choose to do that on behalf of God, then we must in turn take hold of the opportunities He lays before us. Look back at the same passage. We're in verse 22. Seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit of the unfeigned, that means unpretended, not faked, as we would say, the unfeigned love of the brethren, seeing that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And I've already described that word. It means to reach for. That's what God gives us to do as an opportunity post or after obeying the gospel. On several occasions, John 13 is on record of that, verses 34 and 35. Jesus speaks of loving one another. He speaks of how we're to love, particularly the brethren. He speaks in that context how that by our love, people, the outside world even, will know that we are His, His disciples. He brings that down upon us as an opportunity. You know, we meet people more and more, it seems, that have not experienced in their life the love even of another human being. They've been neglected, abused, just just ignored, turned out, turned away by so many. Sometimes in our society, even parents, even loved ones, supposed loved ones, uh, fail to fulfill what we need because they're not willing to love. Friends, if there's ever been a place where a person ought, keyword ought, to be able to feel loved, it ought to be inside of the body of Christ amongst His people. If we pass up an opportunity to reach out to love someone, anyone, we're missing part of what God's laying upon us right here. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can purify a soul. And then finally, here and fourthly, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I, I, as I say sometimes, this gets my joy bells ringing as much as any of the other because I, I kind of feel like I've gone through the others. I've known of the others. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can preserve a saint. You know, it's important to obey God initially. It's important, as we describe at the end of nearly every sermon here, at least we do in some words, giving the invitation, we describe how one is to believe in God. Yes, we've already mentioned that. We describe how one is then to be willing to repent of their sins, to turn from their lives, mainly to turn toward God. 
We understand how one is to confess the name of Christ as the Son of God, as was just done. We understand how one is to be baptized for, that is, in order to have sins to be remitted, washed away. We, we, we get that. But after that point, how many times have you smiled? And I, I can't even smile, believe it or not. I'm not going to show you. Physically, I cannot smile. You're straight out. But how many times, I smile on the inside pretty good. How many times have you found yourself just smiling, just excited, just, just, just blown away by the fact that God not only could save us, but he can keep us saved. Being saved is not something that we do throughout our lives. We maintain it by obedience and continued faithfulness, but God's all the while doing it. Friends, Satan could pull us out of God's hand in any moment if we gave in. That's, that's no doubt about that. That's true. That's taught in John 10. There's no doubt. If we gave up. But friends, he's not pulling against an easy hand either. God wants to hold us. God wants to keep us. He wants to have us to maintain the salvation that we once obtained. Notice what's here in the Scripture, though. We hadn't even read this passage with this. Verse 23, uh, beginning, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, watch this, by the word of God, that is the voice or utterance of God, which liveth key and abideth key forever. He continues on, verse 24, with this, what I'm going to call a pointed example. He says, For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. And grass withereth, and the flower falleth away. That's a pointed example. God says, have you not seen the flowers in your garden, the grasses in your yards, have you not seen those things fail? Yes. You've seen things that you thought were so beautiful that you know were a creation of God even to begin with in that realm, physical realm, those flowers, those grasses. You've seen those things no matter how beautiful they are, no matter how much you do to try to maintain that. You've seen those things fail. He's speaking of, in the context, backing up and, and latter of this, the corruptible, like us, as versus the incorruptible, like our souls. When we are born in this life, when we take those first breaths, even before that time, we are already beginning to break down and run down as physical beings. There's a point in the example here. But if you add verse 25 to this, there is a promised endurance. We've already seen some of the words here. Liveth and abideth forever, verse 23. He says, but, that is a contrast. But the word of the Lord endureth, keeping on, forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto men. Nothing but the blood can preserve a saint. You say, well, I, I've heard that word saint before. There are certain... Uh, groups in the world who say that they have saints. Friends, a saint is nothing, nothing but a, a shortened version of the word sanctified, and that just means someone who's been set apart from the world. Set outside of, pulled from 
the world. Now who's done that? God. By what means? By the blood of Christ. Friends, if you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, the good news, and it's what we've discussed, is that this blood can purchase you as a sinner. There's nothing more that you need to be reminded of at this point than knowing that, yes, that's because He's already provided a Savior. He's willing to purify your soul, and through your obedience at that point and forward, He will preserve you as a saint of His. Now, the difficulty arises that either we're not willing to obey, as we've already described, we're not willing to commit, we're not willing to give in to God's wills, we hold on to our own, to those of those around us. We cannot remain that way. We come to God in obedience. We're washed in baptism. We contact the blood we're speaking of. Sins are gone. But then we have to live life. It's interesting to me that most people who are baptized, not, not all, certainly, but most who are baptized actually get to come out of the water and live another day. And what they find out in that another day is that another day brings another trial. Another trial brings another temptation. Another temptation can potentially bring another fall. But that's not depressing because God gives us another way. By the same blood, through prayer and repentance, we come back. We rise up out of that heap. We stand tall again, looking toward God, being thankful for that gracious blood that was shed. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Why don't you consider your life? Consider what's needful for you this moment in light of your spiritual salvation. Why not choose to do that while together we stand and sing together this invitation song?